Hey, this is Lecrae, and you are listening to the Lighting a Fire podcast. That's a lesson that the marginalized can teach, is that your worth and your value is not in what you have or what you've accomplished. It's in the fact that you are known by God. I'm still pinching myself, everybody. It was an incredible gift to have Grammy award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae on the show for a conversation about themes from his newest book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith. I was really hoping to play it cool when talking to this hero of mine, but that went out the window pretty quickly. Wait a minute, I read that wrong. Let me give you a different quote. I'm sorry. Can you tell I'm nervous to be talking to you right now? No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And yet Lecrae was incredibly gracious, down to earth, and just fun to talk with. Enjoy the conversation, but also check out his book. You won't regret it. Lecrae, welcome to the show. We're having this conversation just one day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I saw a picture of you with your kids yesterday in front of the church where Dr. King used to preach. Is that a tradition that you guys do every year? Yeah, we always try to, in some kind of way, remember his legacy and, and his contributions. Um, so whether it's us going to the church or obviously this year was a little different because of COVID restrictions or us participating in service of some kind, but we always try to remember the legacy that he's left and 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 um and just continue in the tradition tell me a little bit about your family look like you, you've got three kids is that right lecrae yeah three kids um my oldest uh, is 13 i got a daughter who's 12 and then my youngest is nine. Oh, that's so good i've got four little girls myself and there's nothing better than being a dad mm-hmm. do you ever feel like as someone who's so in the spotlight that family is a bit of a refuge for you someplace where you don't have to perform oh absolutely i love it it's a it's it's actually one of my favorite things in this season of life you know there was a time period where i loved just being going 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 and and giving 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 but in this season i'm really enjoying being present and being around hey i recently read i am restored and i absolutely loved it thank you for telling this part of your story A big part of your book was about navigating the current Christian landscape in America, including a lot of the pain and trauma you've experienced. And actually, it made me think about my daughters. On occasion, two of them will be playing together, and they're sitting in the same room, using the same toys, interacting with each other. But as I listen a little closer, I realize they're actually playing very different games. One of them is a puppy and the other's playing school or something like that. <laughs> and honestly, that's sometimes how it feels as a Christian in our current context. Mm-hmm. We can be in close proximity with one another, but potentially operating under very different understandings, even when it comes to the purpose or direction of following Jesus. Do you ever have that sense of disunity? And how did we get here? Yeah, that's a great question. I th- I think, um, you know, a lot of the disunity that we experience is partially due to, you know, poor information, a lack of of perspective. You know, I'm I'm always reminded of the movie Ben Hur, where, you know, the the Romans were, you know, trying to get the Jews to participate in their in their their games, and the Jews didn't want to participate, and then eventually they did, and. Of course, Ben Hur wins, and everyone's celebrating because the Jews had won. But the Romans, 
when asked, are you sad now that the Jews have beaten you? They, they said, no, because now they're playing our game. All we wanted them to do is play our game. And I think too often the church in America gets distracted from the mission because we're caught up in playing the game. You know, m- much of the games that our country wants us to participate in, which are not necessarily things that God uh, has on his agenda. Hmm. Oh, I love that metaphor. That's perfect. Yeah. And, and I've read over the years, you know, descriptions of winning culture wars or attempting to win culture wars and yet losing a generation of people mm. by mischaracterizing what this following Jesus is all about. Absolutely. In your book, you write, many Christians are content with keeping the power dynamics as they are, unwilling to address their own complicity in creating hierarchy where none should be. You talk a lot about the intermarriage of faith and politics in the American church as well, to the to the point that there seems to be all these different versions of Christianity. Maybe in your book, most most pointedly, you described experiencing that when it comes to racial inequality. Can you give us just a little bit of the story of, of feeling like not quite at home in a version of Christianity? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I I think history repeats itself in so many ways and. I I feel as if that oftentimes the church in America will take its cues from the culture. And and if the, the culture says that segregation is okay or you know anti-Semitism is okay or you know Jim Crow laws are okay, then oftentimes the church will try to figure out how the Bible supports this thing mm-hmm. that the culture supports. And, and too often, being in, in a, a minority in a majority culture, the majority culture uh, will be under the assumption that because so many people uh, agree with this way of life, that it somehow must be righteous, um, when mm-hmm. in fact, it's not that it's righteous or God endorses it. It's just that many people see life from this lens. And, and I think, you know, sometimes it, God does a, a unique work with minority groups or disenfranchised groups and allows them in the same way he did with the Jews in history past to to demonstrate that um, the the broad way, the, the normative way is not the best way and mm. it's not the way that he ultimately endorses. And so it's it's a tough road. And, and hopefully if anybody will see that change needs to happen, it'll be the church. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I probably wasn't in my 20s until I realized that very thing that you're saying, that even the Bible is written from the perspective of underdogs. I mean, mm-hmm. there are very few points in their history where they're the, the on top or where they have power <laughs> and influence. And yet, because of my privilege, I didn't even see that until I'd almost you know finished a master's degree in biblical studies. What do you think those on the margins, those who have been oppressed, have to teach us about the Bible? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that um, too often we read ourselves into the noble characters. You know, too often <laughs> yeah, yeah. we we find ourselves as the 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 people with power when when in reality. Um, we're not King David and we're not Solomon. Um, in reality, we're, we, we're a lot more like Rahab. We're a lot more like Zacchaeus than we'd, mm. we'd like to admit. We're a lot more like the Mumser, uh, the, the tax collector, 
than we realize. And then I also think, especially when you start looking at Israel coming out of Egypt, I mean, they were look they were the lowest of the low. I mean, they were at the bottom of the totem pole. They were they had to live in a different land because they were they were just a disgusting people to the Egyptians. They were slaves. And, you know, God had to show them that it's that their worth and their their identity was not wrapped up in what they did or or how people saw them. But it was it was in who he said they were. And he said, you're my people. And I think um, that's something that's a lesson that the marginalized people can teach people who aren't struggling is that your worth and your value is not in what you have or what you've accomplished. It's, it's in the fact that you are known by God. Mm, amen. It's amazing how even words or biblical themes can have very different connotations based on my experiences. Even a word like judgment, where I hear that and I think bad news, <laughs> somebody who's been under the boot of an oppressive empire, judgment is the best news, right? <laughs> like somebody's mm-hmm. coming for us. It's amazing how you can have such different takes on even a single word just because of the experiences we're bringing to it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a very, very good point. Just to realize that, you know, we we want, um, you know, uh, corrupt and powerful entities to face judgment so that the boot can be lifted off the neck of those who are underneath it. So, Lecrae, so much of your book talks about hard things, hard experiences, often in Christian community. Oh, I'm blanking, but one of your chapters is even talking about trauma. Church trauma is like the Mm -hmm. worst kind of trauma and pain. And you've had your share and then some of these experiences in Christian community. And yet I love getting to the third section of your book. It's all about hope in the midst of this chaos. How do you get there? Mm. Yeah, I I am... um... I think, you know, part of it is acceptance, right? I think a lot of times we have to accept certain realities that, that these this is where we are. And once you can embrace and accept a reality, then it it becomes, okay, this is this is reality. What do we do with this reality? Right? And and how can this reality shape us, change us, mold us into something better? than what we currently experience. And I think when you, you look at your circumstances, there may be circumstances you can't change, right? I mean, it's just, I cannot change the circumstance. However, I can be changed in the midst of the circumstance. You know, you look at Joseph who's imprisoned and he couldn't change the circumstances, but he could. He, what he could do is he can say, I can, I can be changed in this. I can lean on God in a different way than I have previously. And so I think we find hope by realizing that God is always dangling a promise in front of us, even in the midst of the pain. There's always the promise of I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Goodness and mercy will pursue you all the days of your life. And when you can hang on to those truths, then they can transcend or supersede some of your current realities. And and then you can start navigating what you're dealing with and marrying it to that truth. One of the greatest truths that I, I, I reflect on often is that the tomb is empty. You know, so regardless of the trail of tears, regardless of slavery, regardless of injustice in this society, the tomb is empty. And so if death is beaten, then everything I'm seeing before me will ultimately be beaten. And, and I try to allow that to motivate me to push forward. Hmm. 
Hmm. I love that. Toward the end of your book, Lecrae, you talk about a few, there's a few headings where you describe some encouragement or some hope that you've experienced when it comes to the church. Can you give us a little glimpse at some of those things? Yeah, um, I think very often, it's very funny, even in the times that we're living in now, you know, I find it funny when we'll see, you know, political uh, uprisings or crazy things happening in Washington, D.C., and we'll say, oh, the end is near. Oh, this must be the time of the Antichrist. And and oftentimes what that says is that we've centered America mm-hmm. in terms of how God is working. And we're not thinking about the world. We're not thinking about what's happening in China, what's been happening in North Korea, what's happening in you know, different countries in Africa or or India. And um, and our faith is global. So it's not what happens in America. It's what's happening globally. It's Amen. where God is moving around the world. And so what's happening in our backyard is only a small fraction of, of what is going on across the globe. We'll tend to see all the chaos and trauma that ensues in a place like, I don't know, uh, Nigeria. And we'll say, man, that's pretty bad over there. But because things are good over here, you know, it must not be the end times. But um, but what if everything was flourishing all around the world, but not flourishing in our backyard? Would we still have the same perspective? And so I think we have to remember that God is, is working globally, not nationally. He's working through people across the world. And, um, and, and we can learn from, from those people of faith. We can grow from them and we can... Uh, serve uh, in that capacity as well. That's one of those features of nationalism, right? Is that our nation is central to what God is doing and, you know, look no further than here and now to, to understand what God is up to. And yet, as you're saying, for someone who's tired and frustrated with experiences of, of Christianity in maybe Western evangelicalism. That's such good news, what you've just shared. <laughs> Look around. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's finally a lot of encouragement. Now you talk a lot about a holistic view of faith too, in terms of history and politics, but also in terms of, of being a human being with a body and there's a brain and, and the role even psychology plays in that. Can you talk to us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, um, I think that's very key. Um, we we forget very often that you know we are spiritual beings, but we're comprised of of physical components, and our our brain is a physical component. And so, if our brain is not healthy, then it hinders us. In the same way, if our heart is not healthy or our lungs are not healthy, and mm-hmm. so it's very important for us to you know i would say for believers in the in the realm of mental health and psychiatry and psychology to contribute their gifts to the church to share what they know and understand obviously nehemiah would not have been able to construct that wall without skilled individuals who cared about god's people and mm-hmm. who were gifted at what they did and so in the same way we have to embrace these individuals who care about god's people but are gifted in the realm of of understanding how the mind, the brain works. And um, we need to take it very seriously. And too often, I think we'll we'll write it all off as spiritual. And in reality, 
you know, absolutely there may be a spiritual component happening there, but there there is a physical component that a doctor who cares about God's people and who understands what's happening in the body can work to serve. And that, and I just want to see that happen more so for us. And the other thing I would just say also is that I think we tend to remove um, the mental struggles that people would have had in scripture. I mean, David saw so much war, so much bloodshed, so much trauma, and he writes about all the tears he's crying and all the, the struggles. Elijah is so saddened and depressed, he wants to take his own life. And and there's a place of mental anguish that people even in the scriptures have had to navigate. And and so we're not alone in what we're dealing with now. Amen. And, you know, it's almost like God is irrelevant or we have a, we have an experience God as irrelevant when he's only off in that kind of spiritual realm of things. And And you're right. We read that into the Bible. And yet I think there's a cool opportunity, maybe even now, especially in the middle of a pandemic, I'm just, you know, at a high school and man, mental health is on our radar, maybe more than ever before. As the church, let's talk about mental health. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about these things moving forward. I hope that's the direction we go. Mm -hmm. You and me both. Lecrae, one of the things I so appreciated about I Am Restored is I think sometimes at least I've got this picture of salvation or restoration or redemption as this like, bam, it happened, right? It's Mm -hmm. this before and after shot. But your story is much more the story of a marathon of walking with God through highs and lows. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned about what it means to be restored in the midst of the last several years? Yeah. I mean, you know, restoration is a journey. It's not a destination. And it's something that God is continually doing in and through us. Um, When Paul said, I've finished the race, he wasn't talking about something that he did like 10 years before he made that statement. He was saying, I finished it now. It's my time to die. And now I've just now finished my race. Um, And so we have to remember that restoration is a journey and it's not a place that will ultimately say I've arrived, you know, especially in this lifetime. Um, God has called us all to some some unique struggles, and and you know, and and some of it is the consequences of our decisions, and some of it is the consequences of other people's decisions, and some of it is just the the lot that we have in order for God's grand narrative to be told. And so I I just would say in that we've got to realize that God is trying to do some work in us and through us. And that's a part of our journey of restoration. And so oftentimes we'll ask for God to, you know, clear the path like, Oh Lord, please just clear this path of stones and, and sticks and thorns. And, and instead we should be saying, God, give me feet for this path. Uh, Give me feet to journey through this. And, um, you know, restore me in the process of it all, because it's, it's not going to, he's not a transactional God. He's a relational God. And so he's not here to be our genie in a bottle. Uh, He's here to walk with us through a process of of restoration and transformation. Hmm. Lecrae, there are several examples of people in the last five, 10 years. I'm thinking of even Christian recording artists in the past who, who've 
come out and said, you know, I'm walking away from the the faith. Uh, And I can't help but wonder, as I'm reading your book, uh, all kinds of trauma you've experienced. Sounds like been on the brink of of going that same way. And yet through these ups and downs, betrayals, etc., you write that I knew I couldn't ever leave Jesus behind. Why is that? What is it about Jesus that, that you're committed to? I, I was challenged by this because when, when people say I'm leaving the church, the, the question would be, what, what church are you leaving? You know, you're, you're leaving the church that you're familiar with. Or are you leaving the Asian church? Are you leaving the black church? Are you leaving like what church are you leaving? Because clearly you haven't experienced every expression of worship and, and community that God has under the sun for you to make this, this decision. And um, you're you're just saying that in what you've experienced, which more likely is a is you know Western evangelicalism, that you're disoriented and you want to leave. And I'll say, well, well, let me challenge you that God is far bigger than your exposure and the expressions that you've seen. And so you've limited him to just this one expression of what the church looks like. You know, have you been to Ethiopia and and seen? you know, the believers there? And and have you been to Egypt and seen the believers there? Have you been to China and seen the believers there? And so I was challenged by that perspective, you know? And then, I mean, honestly, for me, I was a lot like Peter. I have nowhere else to go. You know, there's, <laughs> there's just nowhere. Where else is there life and hope? I've studied all of the ancient religions. And for me, I cannot keep their creeds. I cannot keep their standards. I I cannot follow any of the rules and cross my fingers and hope that I'll be accepted. The only place that I find hope is the place that says, hey, you're never going to be good enough to get this right. However, I will reach down and lift you up and work in and through you. That's the only hope I, I have in this life. And so that's where my uh, my allegiance lies. Amen. Yeah, you know, a few years ago, I was at that point, you, you're talking about leaving the church. I remember having a kind of a dramatic conversation with God saying like, I'm done. The church is all fake. It's <laughs> and, and it was almost like, you know, when God questions Job and, and says, oh, you you know, the universe and then asks him questions about <laughs> about the universe to, to, to help him realize that, oh, I've only seen a sliver of, of what there is to see. <laughs> That your your questions reminded me of that, you know. Oh, so Brian, tell me about the church in Zambia, or tell me about the church in Sri Lanka or Brazil. You must know about the church. <laughs> You're such an expert, after all. Yeah. <laughs> and realizing I'm speaking about something I really don't understand and certainly haven't experienced in full. That's good. Mm. Uh, hey, Lecrae, you, in your book, you talk about some some real darkness, walking the, the valley of the shadow of death, depression, self-medication, confronting trauma and abuse in your past. There are listeners who are walking that path right now. I've got no doubt about that. What do you have to say to someone who's there? Yeah. Well, first, I would say I'm sorry. I, I, I hate that for you. And uh, my heart goes out to you that you are enduring whatever it is that you may be enduring. And and I don't want to downplay that. I, I don't want to downplay that you are hurting, that you are struggling, that you are frustrated, um, you feel failed, abandoned, whatever it, it may be. Those are real feelings that you feel. 
and shouldn't be looked over. And what I will say is that as empathetic and sympathetic as I may be to what you're experiencing, God is is infinitely more caring about what's going on with you. Hmm. Um, he's not forgotten or standing by watching you suffer. Um, he is desperately desiring to walk with you through this and to be your hope and your joy in the midst of it all. Hmm. Um, I was I was in Israel and, and I got to go to the Dead Sea. And um, and as I was in the sea, uh, the salt content is so high that you're floating. And I had a friend who doesn't know how to swim at all and he struggles with anxiety and he, he's very heavy. And he said, I'm gonna come out here in this water. And when he got out in the water, uh, he stepped off of a ledge and and it, the water just was way deeper than it was before. And he, and he found himself frantic. His anxiety had risen and he was like, I'm about to drown. And he's starting to panic and I'm, I'm holding him and I'm calming him down and I'm, and I'm reminding him, there's no way you can drown in this water. You <laughs> cannot sink. And, and I think that's what God wants us to be reminded of is that he's not going to let you drown. Whatever you're dealing with is not going to consume you. He won't let it consume you. Just trust him. It's gonna. It may get to the brink of feeling like I can't take this anymore. And trust me, I know that feeling. But God is going to be there to make sure that you not only can deal with that, but that you'll get through that. And He'll be there every single time thereafter. So trust Him. He won't let you drown. Amen. Amen. You know, one one of the things I love when students come to me and say, "Mr. S, I've been." calling out to God and I've got, I hear nothing. I feel nothing. I, 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 there's just like God's, I just have no sense of the presence of God. One of my favorite things, in fact, probably the reason I am a Christian today is because when we're in that place, we actually have a companion. I go to the gospels when Jesus cries out, why? And here's nothing, at least nothing that's recorded mm -hmm. from his father. And he dies. In the midst of that kind of experience, we have a companion and, and this wonderful upside down irony is it happens to be Jesus. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that is good news. Great news. One of the things I love about your book is I'm reminded I teach um, prophets to, to 10th graders. And, and one of the things that confused me at first, at least there was a dissonance between what I had been told the gospel was all about and what these prophets looked forward to. There was very clearly a hope that, that the Messiah would do something to us and in us. And yet, as part of Christian evangelical culture, my understanding was that the gospel was Jesus has done something for us. And, and that was it. Your story is a wonderful reminder that salvation is God is up to something in us what is God up to in your heart and mind these days? You know, honestly, the, the irony of it all is that we were talking a little bit earlier about Ray and, and, and Israel. And what God is really doing in me now is, is, you know, I'm really challenged to go back to the historic roots of the faith. 
and to really try to learn things from an Eastern perspective and to really be challenged to see everything that I've learned could be not as I've learned it, but it's okay because the faith that is central to me is, is true. Um, and so I'm just in that place now of learning and putting new pieces of this puzzle together and seeing things so much differently than I've ever, than I've ever seen it. And it's beautiful, you know, to see the Hebraic roots of everything that I've been taught, you know, so I've been in a deconstructing phase for years and now I'm in a reconstructing phase and putting pieces together and seeing, wow, I never realized this and I never considered this. And, you know, something as simple as just as I'm talking to my kids and I'm reminding them we're going through the first uh, the, the first five books of, uh, in the Bible. And and I'm reminding them, you know, that at 13 years old, kids knew this, you know, like the mm-hmm. back of their hand. And so, you know, how challenged are we that we don't? And so this is uh, part of that reconstruction phase that I'm in right now. And, and God is is walking with me through that process. That you're so right. What you're describing is it changes the Bible forever. And mm-hmm. You know, in your book, you talk about frustrations with this kind of obsession with theological specificity. And it's amazing when you look, read the Bible through that Eastern lens, that that's really not the game Jesus is playing. I mean, that's not what he's obsessing over. Mm-hmm. That's what, where the reconstruction begins. You know, I mean, for me, is and I'm, I'm excited. You know, that's that's a very exciting thing to be able to see things in ways you haven't seen them before. Hmm. Lecrae, you're a hero of mine, uh, and I I love you even more after reading your book. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us on the show today. Oh, it's an honor. Sincerely, I'm genuinely honored, and I uh, look forward to, to seeing you in person. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.